Hey, welcome to Church Online. So, so glad that you joined us today. Hey, let me brag on the church just for a moment today. I think about last Sunday. Do you realize last Sunday the gospel reached more homes than any other period in the history of the world? And, and that's because you shared, you liked, you invited. Hey, and so maybe today we'll, we'll even do more than that. And you know what it reminded me of this past few weeks as we've kind of been going through this uh, interesting situation is that uh, what Jesus said in Matthew. So in Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail. And in other words, a virus is not going to stop the work and the will of Jesus. And so thank you, church, for uh, I, I, Wednesday night when we were on our Facebook Live, we heard story after story of you sharing the gospel, you being the church. And so I want to say thank you. Keep doing that. Use uh, the platforms, the opportunities that God has given you for His, uh, His glory. And so, hey, this week, uh, really three weeks ago, we started this new series, and that series is entitled, God Never Said That. Uh, we as Christians, and maybe I won't put you into it, but me, uh, oftentimes I've misquoted God. I think probably uh, you have as well. Uh, statements like this, uh, when God closes a door, he always opens a window. God never said that. Uh, how about this one? God helps those who help themselves. Again, God never said that. How about this one? Since God is good, life is always good. Here's the problem with that theology, with that statement. For one, God never said that. But what it does is it points towards a me-centered theology, that the Christian life is about me and about me holding on and me completing the task. And, and so if I believe that, that life has to be good in order for God to be good, then when life is like chaotic, then two things have to be true. Either God's not good or God's not in control. So we have to believe that God is in control and God is good, even though maybe life is not. And we're going to talk even a little more about that in our story uh, this morning. Here's, here's another one. God will never give you more than you can handle. And that's not true. God never said that. In fact, as you read Scripture, the opposite is true. God, God wants to give us more than we can handle so that we'll, we'll depend on Him. And again, it's a, a me-centered theology that I've got to handle, I've got to do it. No, I've got to trust in God. I've got to turn and release everything over to Him. Uh, today, the one I want to talk about is a statement that, honestly, I have said. I said it uh, maybe in ignorance, maybe in pride. Uh, I said it as a young youth pastor, and I was trying to encourage um, parents to send their kids on a youth trip with me. And here's the statement. The safest place for your kid, or the safest place for you to be, is in the center of God's will. And that's not a true statement. God, we don't see that in Scripture. God never said that. What he did say is, and what we do see in Scripture, is that the best place for me to be, the best place for you to be, the best place for my kids to be is in the center of God's will. Not the safest, but the best. Um, let me just be transparent with you. Last week, I, I uh, talked about how Joy and I, my wife, we, two different days last week, we sent our kids uh, back to Missouri. And honestly, it brought a little bit of anxiety. Like, I'm not in control. I can't protect them. Um, and 
I, I believe what I preach. I've been preaching and teaching a long time, and I believe it. I believe God is in control. I believe God is good. I believe the best place for my kids to be is in the center of God's will. But to be a little transparent this morning, believing it and applying it sometimes is difficult. Like it's easy for me to preach it. It's not always easy for me to live it. And this past Monday, uh, I was on a Zoom call uh, with about 30 missionaries uh, from all over the country. In fact, 14 different countries. I mean, we had Peru and Greece and Spain, Honduras, the Philippines, Thailand, Japan, Belgium, Kenya, and uh, all these different countries, all these missionaries who are going through the same situation that I'm going through. And you know what many of them said, what their prayer request was? The same thing I was struggling with, that their kids were in college, college was shut down, but here they're in the Philippines, their kids are in the United States, and what am I going to do? And again, it brought me to this thought that not always is the safest place to be in the center of God's will, but it is the best place. And so I want to bring this like to um, a thesis statement, I guess, if you would, for this week and for our teaching and for what I feel like God wants to, to tell us today. Here it is. Surrender is a lifetime commitment applied daily. Okay, hey, that's going to be on the screen right now. Surrender is a lifetime commitment applied daily. I know you're in your living room or maybe you're on your back porch, but uh, I want you to say that with me today, all right? It's going to be on the screen now. I want you to read this with me. Ready? Here we go. Surrender is a lifetime commitment applied daily. What, what does that mean? That means that even though I believe God is good and I believe God is in control and I believe God is going to help me handle the things I can't handle I have to make that decision every day. I have to surrender to his will every day. Let's change one word in that statement, and I think it's just as applicable. And here it is. Faith is a lifetime commitment applied daily. Uh, again, it's, it's on the screen for you this morning. I want you to read it with me, all right? Here we go. Faith is a lifetime commitment applied daily. Now, I want to I share a, a book or a story in the Bible that kind of, we see this play out. So turn with me to Exodus chapter 1. Exodus chapter 1, and uh, we're going to begin reading in verse 16. So Exodus chapter 1, verse 16, while you're turning, I'm going to get a drink of coffee here. I'll give a little shout out to Tyler Martin, church planter in Wyoming, praying for you, Tyler and Ashley. But Exodus chapter 1, um, now therefore, excuse me, verse 8, now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. So a few weeks ago, we, we talked about the story of Joseph. He brought his dad, Jacob, and all their family. And at that time, when all of them came because of the famine, they came to Egypt. There were 70 of them. And here we are years later, and it says, there arose a king over Egypt who did not know Joseph, who didn't know the Jewish nation. Verse 9, and he said to his people, look, the people, the children of Israel, are more mighty than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them. Let lest they multiply and it happen in the event of war, that they also join our enemies and fight against us, and so go up against the land, out of the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with burdens, and they built for Pharaoh's supply cities, Pithom and Ramses. Verse 12, But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew, and they were in dread of the children of Israel. So the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor, and they made their lives bitter with hard bondage and mortar and brick and in all manner of service in the field. All their service in which they made them serve was with rigor, like it was difficult. Verse 15, then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives. So he speaks to the Jewish 
midwives. And he says, of whom the name of Shifra and the name of Pua. So these two ladies and their names, he speaks to them. What, what, is he, what does Pharaoh tell these midwives? Verse 16. And we get the understanding that these two midwives were like managers over many midwives. Verse 16, he said, when you do the duties of a midwife for the Hebrew woman and see them in the birth stools, if it is a son, then you shall kill him. If it is a daughter, then she shall live. And so what Pharaoh is trying to do is population control, and he wants to kill all male babies who are born. And he's going to use the Jewish women, the midwives who don't have families of their own, to destroy the Jewish boys. So these ladies have a choice. They have to fear Pharaoh, who could take their life, or they're going to fear God, who's in control of their life. And so they have a decision. Who are they going to fear? Who are they going to follow? Again, we think about this. Surrender is a lifetime commitment applied daily. So they've made a commitment. They follow God. They fear God, Jehovah. But what are they going to do here? How's that going to apply to them? How are they going to apply that? Verse 17, but the midwives fear God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded, but saved the male children alive. Here's a great principle for us as Americans. These women chose to defend the defenseless. And, and in our country, since 1973, we as a country have chosen not to defend the defenseless, the unborn. And, and so the example of these two Jewish women who chose to fear God, not man. Surrender was a lifetime commitment that here in this situation they applied daily in this story. Which brings me to a thought. Who we fear and respect the most shapes the way we live our lives. Who you fear and respect the most shapes the way you live your life. It's how you, your life is applied, how you play it out. So plan A didn't work. The plan the Pharaoh had to destroy the nation, it didn't work. So he goes to plan B. What his plan B was is that he gave authority and empowered all the Egyptians to kill the baby boys of the Jewish nation. And so it, it, I can't imagine the chaos that this created. And so that's where, where uh, we pick up the story in Exodus chapter 2. So Exodus 2, verses 1 and 2. And a man of the house of Levi went and took as wife a daughter of Levi. So the women conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him for three months. So here's the story. We don't get her name, but later in Scripture we do. Her name is Jochebed. She has this son. Uh, we're going to understand later to be Moses. And she hides him for three months because she's fearful of what's going to take place. You see, her faith was greater than her fear. So she had the child. She hid the child. And, and moms, you know that after about three months, probably, the baby is no longer very quiet. Right? It's hard to contain. It's hard to hide. And so she's fearing, what am I going to do? It's almost this idea of like, I, I can no longer protect my child. I can no longer protect Moses. I'm going to have to apply what I believe, that God is in control, that God is good, that God's not going to give me more than I can handle because he is the one going to handle it. I, I'm going to trust God. And so she, what is she going to do? She can't hide him any longer, but she trusts God. God is in control. Verse number three. Uh, Exodus 2, when she couldn't hide him any longer, she got a little basket boat made of papyrus, waterproofed it with a tar and pitch, and she placed the child in it. Then she set it afloat in the reeds at the edge of the Nile. You know, my story last week of 
sending my kids out back to Missouri doesn't even compare to the fear this lady was facing. The unknown. I can't imagine the emotion that she had realizing I cannot protect my child. It's out of my hands. I'm just going to put this child in this handmade boat. I'm going to put him in the Nile and hope that someone will find him and someone will protect him. I can't protect him. Only God can protect him. She was helpless. She was desperate. But she trusted a good God. Again, the best place for you to be is in the center of God's will, not necessarily the safest. Let's keep reading this story. Verse number five of Exodus 2. Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, and her headmaids walked along the riverside, and she saw the ark among the reeds. She sent her maid to get it. And when she had opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby wept, of course, right? So she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrew children. Then his sister, which is Miriam, who at this time is uh, six years old, Miriam is kind of waiting and looking, and she sees what takes place, and and she speaks to Pharaoh's daughter. In verse 7, she says, Shall I go call a nurse for you from the Hebrew woman, that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother, Jochebed. And verse number 9 then says, Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me. So Pharaoh's daughter, so see what's taking place. Jochebed has realized I'm not in control. I'm, I'm surrendering. I'm applying my faith in this moment. God, only you can protect my child. And here now Pharaoh's daughter brings back Moses to Jochebed and says, take the child. And verse 9 says, and I will give you your wages. Like she's going to pay Jochebed to nurse her own son. So the woman took the child and, and nursed him. Amazing story of you know, I love this statement. God's biggest blessing, blessings often come after our biggest steps of faith. Jochebed realizes, I, I can't do it. God, you're in control. And, you know, I think about the situation we're in right now. Do you have that feeling a little bit? Like, some of you I know, I'm, I know some of you lost your job. Some of you have been furloughed. And there's some anxiety. There's some fear. And I, com- I completely understand. I, I, it, I hurt for you. Some of you, like me, your kids are off in a different place. And, and they're on lockdown. And you're on lockdown. And, and there's just this fear. The unknown. The uncertainty. And we have to trust that God is in control. We have to trust that the best place for you to be right now is in the center of God's will. The best place for me and for my kids is to be in the center of God's will. In other words, we're going to have to surrender, which is a lifetime commitment, but we're going to have to apply it every day, aren't we? So I just want to point out three things in this, as we walk through this story that I think we can apply today. The first one is this. Because we're all facing some anxiety, we're all facing some fear, we're all facing a, a, the unknown. Here it is. Number one, believe that God is bigger than your problems. Believe that God can handle it. Believe that God has a plan. One of my favorite verses, really, it's, it's my life verse. Philippians 1, 6 says, being confident of this very thing. I love that. Be confident. Be assured. 
Be confident in this very thing that he, God, who began a good work in you, he will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. I don't have to handle it. I don't have to be in control. Thank God I'm not in control. Be confident of this thing, this very thing, that even in this moment, even in this fear, even in this doubt, even this uncertainty, that he who began a good work in you, he'll perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. But let me stop for a moment. That promise, he who began a good work in you, he will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. It applies to people who have received Christ into their life. It applies to people who are followers of Jesus. You know, here at Hallmark, we're, our, our goal is to lead people to find and follow Jesus. And, and we think about this, this promise that I'll, I will be with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Be confident of this very thing. That's a promise made to, to me because at the age of 17, I made a decision to follow Jesus. So I, I want to just encourage you today. I want you to wrestle with the question, with this truth. Have you received Jesus into your life? Because if you haven't received Jesus in your life, these promises don't apply to you. Let me, let me read a verse of scripture for you. John chapter 1, verse 12 says, But as many as received him, received Jesus, is what he's saying here. To them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. And so I, I want to encourage you today, if you've never received Jesus in your life, you've never placed your faith in him, it's, it's very simple. We make it way more difficult than it has to be. It's very simple. There's three, three steps you got to take. First is A, admit. Admit you're a sinner. The Bible says all have sinned, and we all fall short of the glory of God, so I'm going to admit that I'm a sinner. The B there simply says to believe that Jesus died for you. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrated his love toward you that while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. I'm going to admit I'm a sinner. I'm going to believe that Jesus died for me because God loved me. And see, I'm going to confess. Paul wrote that if we confess and confess with our mouth and we believe in our heart that God did die for us, that he did come back to life, we shall be saved. I'm going to admit, I'm going to believe, and I'm going to confess. So right, right now in this moment, you may be watching this live, you may be watching this a month from now, but wherever you're at, whenever you watch this, can I encourage you right now to talk to the Lord about it? You may say something to him like this. God, I admit that I'm a sinner, that I stand guilty before you. I'm not, I'm not perfect, and I admit that. God, I believe that Jesus died for my sins, and I confess that I need Jesus, and I confess that I believe in Jesus. And if you would just make those statements to the Lord as a prayer to him, the Bible says, whoever calls on him, whoever admits and believes and confesses shall be saved. And, and no matter when you watch this, if you're watching this Sunday morning, the 29th, or maybe later on, here's what I want you to do. I want you just to text, I receive Jesus to the number on the screen. Simply just get out your phone right now or whatever device you're watching. And I want you just to text. I received Jesus to the number on the screen. Now let's get back to this story. It's God is bigger than my problems. And, and I was reminded this week of this because I'll be, I'm going to be completely transparent with you. I have a little fear and anxiety 
a lot of people are, are unsure about jobs and a lot of people are not sure when they're going to go back to, to, to work. And, and that brings a little bit of anxiety to me. But let me share a story with, with you that happened last year. In fact, almost a year ago, last year in March, um, I went into Matt, our administrative pastor's office, and we were looking over the report for the month. It was a five Sunday month and I was anticipating, honestly, I'll give you the number. I was anticipating that we would gain $15,000 that month in our general account, just because it was a five Sunday month and that was kind of norm. And I went into his office to get that report. I was excited because that night I was gonna, we're gonna meet with the board and we're gonna talk about it. And, and I was excited to share some good news. And when I went into his office, I realized as he showed me, that we had gained zero dollars. It was $15,000 different than what I was expecting, anticipating, and hoping, and really praying for. And I was frustrated. And I had to wrestle with, God, are you in control? Because it doesn't feel like it. I, I'm not sensing that. I thought this was going to happen. And you know what I did? I, I took a, like a five-minute prayer walk, and I walked around the church building, and I just kind of uh, had an argument maybe with God. I said, God, I, I can't do this. I can't handle this. I need help. And I walked back into my office. I was gone maybe five minutes, maybe 10 minutes. I walked back into my office and I sat down and I was frustrated. I was a little fearful. And Matt walked in with a check. And as I was walking around the building, someone checked the mail and handed a check to Matt for $16,000. You realize a retired lady in her 80s had sold her house and she tithed on that money. And God was saying to me, I'm bigger than your problems. And, and today I know there's stress. I know there's some anxiety, but we're going to have to, again, surrender a lifetime commitment applied daily. God, I, tr I trust that you're bigger than my problems. The second one I want to think about is really what we've been talking about. Just surrender. Surrender daily. Jesus said in Luke 9, 23, if, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and daily follow me. So it's a decision that I have to make again tomorrow. Like, I feel good today. Tomorrow I might get up with a little fear and anxiety, and I'm going to have to again say, God, you're bigger than my problems. And I surrender today, in this moment, to your plan. And then number three, let's get back to the story. Exodus chapter 2, verse 10. The child grew, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. So she called his name Moses, saying, because I drew him out of the water. So we're going to believe God's bigger than our problems. We're going to surrender daily. And number three is really profound. You're going to have to do it again tomorrow. When I think of the story of Jochebed, a, a woman of faith, she realized that God is the only one in control, and she put Moses into the river. I can't imagine what she, the emotions, the struggle, the heartache, but, but she trusted God. And God gave him back, and she got even paid to, to take care of her own child. But then in verse 10, he grew and guess what she had to do? She had to surrender Moses back to God and give him back. And I can't imagine what that meant or what that felt like and how difficult that was. 
But she made a decision. God's bigger than her problems. She's going to surrender to His will every day. And that means I'm going to do it again tomorrow. Listen, I know that you have some fear, and, and I have some fear. So together, could we do this together? Could we every day just pray, God, I'm, I'm, I, I know you're bigger than my problems. I trust you. The best place for me to be is right here in the center of your will. I'm going to surrender every day to you. And guess what? I'm going to do it again tomorrow. As Paul said, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Hey, I'm praying for you. If you need anything, please reach out to the church. We're here for you. We love you. And we want to surrender with you to the will of God in our life. Would you pray with me? God, we are blessed to have technology, to be in, in homes all across America and all, all across the world today. We thank you for that. And Lord, I pray that in my life that sometimes it's really difficult to apply what I know is truth. And, and I'm assuming today that if it's difficult for me, it's difficult for those watching. And so, Lord, I pray you would give us strength as the faith of Jochebed. Lord, that we would trust your bigger than our problems. We would surrender every day. And we'd get up tomorrow and do it again. It's in the precious and powerful name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.